into the Word of God. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen. Please be seated. We've entitled this morning's message, as you see from your bulletin, The Word Introduced. The Word Introduced. Last week, we started our study of the book, The Gospel According to John. And if you turn with me to chapter 20, which was our passage last week, just for a moment, chapter 20 of the Gospel according to John, and verses 30 to 31, let me remind you of them. It was the Apostle John that told us his reasons for recording what he did record in the book, and it's very important and relevant to our text this morning. In verses 30 and 31, he said, Many other signs, therefore, Jesus also performed in the presence of, his, of the disciples, which are not written in this book. So there are others that are not. However, but these things have been written, and here's what I want you to grasp again. The things that John has written have been written that you may believe, that you might come to faith, that people might come to faith, that Jesus, and we saw last week, that is Jesus of Nazareth, Jesus the Nazarene, is the Christ, the anointed of God, the Son of God, and that believing you might have life in his name. John told us that his purpose in writing this gospel account that we are studying is so that people would come to saving faith in Jesus Christ. And in doing so, would have eternal life, would have life, spiritual life, through his name. Thus, what he presents in this gospel account should drive us to that conclusion. And you will see in just a moment, as we study the word of God this morning, we will see that this is true right from the very beginning of the book. Soon as we open the pages, he stated what his reason was, and it becomes obvious immediately. But I also want to remind believers that it is the Apostle Paul in his prayer in Ephesians chapter 1, in Ephesians chapter 3, and in Colossians chapter 1, that the effective way of praying for believers was, and this is the way the Apostle Paul did pray, is that believers might increase in the knowledge of God, that they might grow to know him. Because as they grow in their knowledge of God and their understanding as to who he is and to who our Savior is, we might then walk pleasing to him. And in case you missed that, I won't repeat it all again, but in essence, what I just said to you is the Apostle Paul has said, the more that we know about God, even as believers, the more we understand our Savior, the better our walk will be with him, the more we get to know him. And so I think you will see as believers, as we study this gospel account, that that will be true. The more we begin to understand about Jesus Christ, the more we begin to understand about God, 
what should happen as we study this book is that we should want to please him. We will love him more as we understand the tremendous Savior that we have. In the first five verses, which I read now in the Gospel according to John, as I have as a title, John introduces us to the Word. He does this first by showing, as I have in my notes, the person of the Word. And that is found in verses 1 and 2. And while it doesn't use the name of Jesus Christ yet, let me get this thought in your mind as I did when I introduced the book. Who is Jesus Christ? Who is he? What is he like? Does it matter what I think of him? Yes, it does. And as I open up this book and we look into it right in the early stages, we are introduced to a historical setting. And we need to understand that each of the Gospels does that for us. As we open up the passage, we are immediately put into an historical context so that we can understand who Jesus Christ is. For example, and I won't turn there, but in Matthew, when you open up the pages of Matthew, immediately you are put into a genealogy. And you are put into a historical setting of a genealogy that establishes the son of David, the son of Abraham. Because to the Jewish mind, as I mentioned, the emphasis of the books and the concentration of the books, that is the Gospels, last week, there was a concentration and immediately a historical setting in that book goes back to the genealogy so that people would immediately find out where Jesus Christ fits into that genealogy. If I were to turn to Mark's gospel, immediately I'm put into a historical setting again. But I'm put into the historical setting of the good news as introduced by the prophet Isaiah. And I'm put into that tremendous book of the Old Testament that gives me a historical setting of one that was promised to come. And I immediately start in that historical setting and begin to see who this promised one to come is. If I were to look into Mark, um, Luke, I'm sorry, in a Luke, again, I'm put into a historical setting. Dr. Luke puts us into where he wants to document things, but starts with the historical setting of Herod and puts us right into that setting of the days when Jesus Christ was on the earth. Writing after the fact, he's now looking back, and so that in each one of the gospel accounts, I'm being put into a setting so that I can begin to understand who this person of Jesus Christ is. However, when I come to the fourth gospel, I am again put in a historical setting, but one of a far-reaching, deeper magnitude and further back than any of the others. Because as I'm introduced, I am introduced to history this way. Eternity past. He wants us to understand who Jesus Christ is, and he doesn't bother with just starting with genealogies for the Jews. He doesn't bother with just starting with Herod, or even going back to the prophet Isaiah. John wants to take us all the way back. And immediately, he takes us back to before the beginning. Because he introduces these three words to us. In the beginning. And to anyone who had any knowledge 
of the scriptures whatsoever in any knowledge of the revelation of God, he would have certainly in his mind been immediately brought back to the very first book of the Bible in which we find these words. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. In the beginning. Where? He takes us back all the way. Was there anything? Was there anyone before the world that you and I know? We are living in a historical setting right now in the 21st century. Was there anyone? Was there anything before that which we can see? Before time even came in? Before clocks were around? Or sundials? Before time came in, morning and evening? Was there anyone around? Yes. Well, who was that? You should be able to answer that one. There was God. God was here before anything else was. There was no one else around, no human being. There was no planets around in the beginning as he takes us back. Nothing but God himself. J.B. Phillips put it this way. He says, there was nothing except God, and then, and I like this, it's in J.P. Phillips' translation, God expressed himself. God was here, and then God chose to express himself. How did he choose to express himself in the beginning? Well, we're going to know about creation in a second but he wants you to know even further back. Before time, in the beginning, as we would go back to, first of all, thinking about time, we want to go back to even beyond that. And what does he tell us? He tells us about the pre-existing one in verse 1. Watch. In the beginning was the word. How did he express himself? How did God express himself? He did it with the word. As many of you know and have probably heard before, it comes from the word lagas, which is just a Greek word for word. But you notice this. He says, in the beginning, not is the word. He doesn't say, in the beginning, became the word. What he says, in the beginning, before you get there, was already the word, it is the form of any. It is the perfect tense, which doesn't mean a lot to many people, except this. It was continuous action before the beginning. As he introduces this book to us, he says, I want to take you back historically. Imagine in your mind's eye, no world, no earth, no moon. Imagine in your mind's eye, no sun. Imagine in your mind's eye, no daily schedule. If you can imagine that for one day, you're doing pretty good. You imagine that, take you all the way back. And what have you got? God, as we will see in a moment. And what you have here is the introduction to the word because before even time was there, he says, 
the Word was there. In the beginning, the Word was. Before anything came into being, and I'm repeating it as many ways as I can so you grasp it. Before anything came into being, the stars, air, if you will, planets, people, animals, there is no point. Listen, there is no point in which the word was not here. Did you get that? There is no point. Go back as far as you want to go back. And before the beginning of everything, the word was already here. He did not come into being. Why do you say that, Pastor Dan? I want you to look very carefully. In verse 1, it says, in the beginning was the word. It didn't say he came into being. He already existed continuously. But he's very careful, well, notice verse 3, to use a different word. And he says, all things, that is the world, that is man, that is animals, now he says, came into being. Very carefully. Look at verse 6. There came a man sent from God whose name was John. We're not there yet. But I want you to see the distinction immediately in the context. God, through John, introduces us to something very significant because he wants us to understand who Jesus Christ is. And he says, before time was, the word was already existing. He didn't come into being. He existed. When you think about John the Baptist, verse 6, there was a point in time in which God sent him and he came into being. When you think about the world that you and I live in, at one time it was not here, and it came into being, verse 3. But when it comes to the word, the word was already here. Why is that significant? Let me pause for a moment here. We are moving into the month of December tomorrow, and as you know, many will celebrate Christmas, and many will think of the birth of Jesus Christ. Was that his beginning? No. He always was. You say, I don't know, Pastor Dan. Okay. How about Micah chapter 5? Keep your finger right here. Let me give you one verse. How do we know where the Messiah would be born? Well... I'm glad that there was a man named Herod that asked that question. He was concerned. Where is he that's born king of the Jews? Find out. Get the books. Find out for me. Where is it? Watch. He says, well, I think that guy comes out of Bethlehem. How do we know that? Ma Micah chapter 5, look at verse 2. But as for you, Bethlehem, Ephrathah, too little to be among the clans of Judah, from you, one will go forth for me. What's he going to do? Be the ruler in Israel. Okay, tell me a little bit about him, all right? His goings forth have been or are 
from what? Long ago. How long? Okay, let me tell you. From days of eternity. You see, Jesus Christ did not begin in Bethlehem. The Messiah that's going to be talked about did not begin in time. Who is this one that's going to be presented as the Messiah? It's someone who, in the beginning, you go all the way back, was already here. He says, in the beginning was the Word. Go back to John chapter 1. Now, why use the word word? Has that ever dawned on you? As I was studying, I asked myself that question. Why didn't he just say, in the beginning was Jesus? made it so much easier for my preaching. Why didn't he say in the beginning was the Lord? You would expect to find that. Or how about this one? In the beginning was the Messiah. Finally, John. You know, I mean, you told us you're going to tell us about Christ the Messiah. Why didn't you just say that? Why say the word? By the way, I don't think anybody can be dogmatic on this, and neither can I. Let me give you some suggestions here. The word logos was used many different ways in my study as I was able to research some things. And there are differences the way the Greeks looked at it, although they did use it. There were ways in which Plato used it in philosophy and so forth and so on. But I don't want to spend my time boring you with all of that. Let me just say this. Why do I think he used the word? Here's why I think he used the word. Because John has a purpose, and the first thing that he takes us back to is what? In the beginning, he takes us back all the way to what people would have known in the word of God. Would you keep your finger here and go to Genesis chapter 1? One of my suggested reasons to you would be this. Because as he's already got the people's mind back to Genesis chapter 1, he says, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. You already told us that, Pastor Dan. Now watch. Verse 3. And God, what? Spoke. What did he speak? A word. He spoke a word and said, let there be light. And what happened? Immediately there was light. Wow. How about that? Verse 6, and God what? Spoke. He said. He gave a word. What was it? Let there be an expanse in the midst of the waters. And what happened? It was so. Verse 9, then God spoke. He said, what? Let the waters below, etc., 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 etc. Immediately to the person's mind when he says in the beginning, should bring them back to Genesis. And he's also going to be brought into the creative ability and the creative act by what? Nothing more than a spoken word. God spoke things into existence. And in the reader's mind, immediately, he's going to be brought back to creation. And before creation, God was there. And when God was there, he simply spoke. The word was used as a basis of understanding creation second reason I'd give you. The word was used as a basis of understanding who the prophets were. Why? 
I won't turn you to all the verses, but I'll recall a few things to your mind. The prophets of old would say this, And the word of the Lord came unto me, and the word of the Lord said. Time after time after time. So immediately, to the person looking to God, he would see the creative ability of God. He would also see that the way that God got his information to us, the way, listen, that God would manifest himself to us was by even speaking through the prophets, by bringing forth the word. And it was also, and I'll give you a reference on this one. You can look it up on your own, the whole first 107 Psalm. It was through the power of the word that the song of redemption would come. Was this word that he's talking about? We find that before time was, the word was there. Is this some just way of expressing meaning, just a word? Is it a principle? Or is it a person? This is a person. So how do we know that? Well, he talks about the personhood. Where? He goes on in the verse. Before time, the word was there. And he says in verse 1, look at it again, John chapter 1, verse 1. And the word was what? With God. This is personhood. The word, who I will disclose to you, you already know who it is, in just a second, was with God. This is an important verse because, first of all, in this verse, he's talking about a distinct person. He's talking a per about a person who is in the bosom of the Father. Would you look to verse 18 of chapter 1? No man has seen God at any time. The only begotten God who is in the bosom of the Father has explained him the one that is going to manifest, the one that is going to express him is in the bosom of the Father. It's a separate, distinct person in the presence of the Father. It's not talking about an attribute of God. This is not just talking about the word as being an attribute. What it is talking about, the deep fellowship that was enjoyed between the word, a distinct person, and God. Hendrickson, and it's followed up by John MacArthur, but Hendrickson, first of all, expressed this by saying that they were face to face, and it has become common for people to take that expression. What he's saying is, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was face to face with God. I think they take it too far, but the point is this, two distinct persons are represented there, two distinct persons in verse 1 before he gives you the next expression. He's telling you that before time was, the word was already there. And the word was in the presence as a distinct person with God. It did not talk about a point in time of coming into existence. No. It's not talking about developing a relationship with God. No. It says that right before the beginning of time, the word was there and the word was in a perfect harmony, and fellowship with God. We probably should not go any further yet, but we must understand who in the world is the word. If it's talking about a person, who is it? You already know where I'm going. It's the person of Jesus Christ. How do we know that? Well, actually, don't stop at verse 14, but verse 14 helps. 
and we'll deal with it when we get there. But let's look at it this morning just very briefly. Chapter 1, verse 14. And the word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld his glory, the glory as the only begotten from the Father, full of grace and truth. Verse 14 is going to tell us that the word took on flesh, and he's the only begotten of the Father. He's in the bosom of the Father, we learn from verse 18. Look at verse 17. For the law was given through Moses. Where did this grace and truth in verse 14 come from? From this person who's the word that made flesh. He tells you, grace and truth were realized through whom? Help me. Jesus Christ. So who is the word back in verse 1? The word is the one that's going to be made flesh. Who else is the word? It's the one that's in the bosom of the Father, verse 18. Who else is the word? The word is the one who is speaking truth and grace. And who is that? It is Jesus Christ. And immediately the Apostle John takes us back in the very first verse of his very first chapter in which he's giving us information that will help us to understand that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that we might have life through his name. And he says, let me take you back as far as time. And before time was, he was there. How? He was there with God. What do you mean with God? God was there. No one else was. That is why scientists will never explain how the world got here. Never. If they eliminate God. Because they weren't there. And neither was man. Even in their own philosophy. Because they say he evolved. You cannot talk to amoebas and ask them how they got there. You see, they want to eliminate God. But if you go back as far as you want to go back, God had to be with them. And what do you mean God was already there? Already continuously there in existence, happy with himself? Absolutely. Was he alone? He was alone with the person we learn already, and I'll tell you this, of the Son and the Holy Spirit. And they were in perfect harmony. Really? Yes. So preexistent, yes. The word is not only preexistent to time. The word, verse 1, is also with God. But now look at what John says in verse 1. And the word, what? <clears throat> was God. He says, I want you to know that the word who I will identify to you as being Jesus Christ, I've written this so that you might know who he is. This one that you call upon, fellow believers, as Savior. Who is he? He's one that was here before the world was here. He is one that was there before the beginning. He is one that was there in the bosom of the Father. That is why, by the way, in chapter 17 of John's account, in verse 5, I believe it is, he says, Father, glorify thyself with me, with the glory which I had with thee, listen, before the world was. He's making it very clear that John is, that this person was there before anything else. And he was there in the presence of God. Well, that might mean that he's got to be God. It's exactly what he means. What do you mean? He says it. It couldn't be any plainer. 
and the word was God. And in my opinion, for what that's worth, you could not have a, listen, I really believe this, you could not have a plainer statement of the deity of Jesus Christ than you've got in verse 1. He was not only with God, he was God. You say, well, Pastor Dan, you didn't do enough study. Why? There's a lot of controversy over this thing. There is. Why is there controversy over a simple verse that says the word was God? Let me tell you why. One of the reasons there's controversy is because of the word order. If you happen to be looking at a Greek, Greek text, you would read it this way. God was the word because that's the order that you find there. That has caused some difficulty for people. Secondly, there is no article before, there is no the, let me put it in English, there's no the before the word God. So some have translated it a God. Let me make it even simpler for you. Jehovah's Witnesses translate this verse that way. If they come to your door and you say Jesus Christ is God, they're going to turn you right to this verse and they're going to say, no, 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 you didn't study. Because it doesn't say the God. It says a God, and thus Jesus Christ is just a God, thus allowing for what we call polytheism, many gods. If you were to talk to the Mormons and others, they would translate and say that he is divine. God is divine, but not that the word was God. Just to make you aware of those things. Leon Morris put it this way, and I quote, Not merely saying something divine about Jesus, referring to this verse, he is absolutely affirming that the word is that's what this verse is doing. No matter how you slice it, no matter what you do, and I'm not an English person, but I've done enough studying on it in this passage, the subject of the sentence is the word. That's the subject of the sentence. Not God. It is the word that's the subject of the sentence. And you would never translate it a God here. Why? Look at the context. For example, look at verse 6. In verse 6 it says, There came a man sent from... There's no article in this one either. It simply in the original language says, God. I don't know of a Jehovah Witness around that would ever say that they should translate this, and there came a man sent from a God. No one translates it that way. Not only that, look at verse 12. But as many as received him, to them gave he the right to become children of a God? I don't think so. No one translates it that way. It's the same structure. There's no article there. Verse 13. Who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, or the will of man, but of no article. A God? You see what I'm trying to give you a lesson in, in case you get lost a little bit. In verse 6, in verse 12, in verse 13, there's no article there either. They understand it as God, but in order to twist the scriptures because it'll support what they want to say, they go back to verse 1 and say, it should be a God. That is not a proper translation. 
I could not come. By the way, verse 18 says the same thing, just in the immediate context. I could not find a standard Greek lexicon, in case you don't know what that is, it's the one that explains the languages to us, that ever affirmed the translation here as divine. And not only that, if there was an article, for those of you that are going that deep, it's, if it's, there was an article, it would say, and the word was the God, which would limit God to simply being Jesus Christ and not the Father or the Son. Constitute the Father, Holy Spirit. And in case they lost you with that, that's God knew exactly what he was doing. In the beginning, before time, the Word was already in existence, and the Word was in the presence of God as a distinct being, yet what? Part of the Godhead. How do we know that? Because the word, subject of the sentence, is God. It is an affirmation to the absolute deity of Jesus Christ. And we are not surprised because if we were to go back to the book of Genesis, listen carefully. When it came to the creation of man, God in his perfect being who created everything, in his own counsel with himself, said this. Let us make God make man in what? Our image and after our likeness. Why? Because the Son was there before eternity. Was there in eternity before time. And he was in the presence of God and he is God. Does it matter? You're sitting here today with half an ear open. Does it matter whether I attest to the fact that Jesus Christ is God? Absolutely. Listen to me. If Jesus Christ is not God, you do not have a faith. If Jesus Christ is not God, there is no good news because all men are sinners and have come short of the glory of God. Listen, if Jesus Christ is not God, then God himself is a liar because he said he is. If Jesus Christ is not God, then this is not God's All of those I affirm key. Jesus Christ is God. By the way, this is a non-negotiable. You cannot believe that Jesus Christ came in Bethlehem and think that that's when it all started and think that that's your Savior. And because I believed on Jesus that was just born in Bethlehem, I'm all set for eternity. No, you're not. Not unless you understand that that babe in Bethlehem, when we get to verse 14, we're not out of verse 1 yet. When we get to verse 14, when you understand that it was the word who was what? The word who was there in the beginning. The word who was what? In the bosom of the Father, with him, in fellowship, perfect harmony. It is the word who what? Is God. The word was God. It is that person 
that came into this world to take on flesh. And you know why he did it, folks? That's why John's presenting it this way. Because John wants you to understand that this Jesus is the one that you've got to believe in because he's the one that can give you life, which he's going to talk about in the first five verses. And it is only through him that you can have life. Jesus Christ was the preexistent one. He was with God, he tells us in verse 1, and it is he that is God. Why do you think when you come to the stable in Bethlehem you find these words from the scriptures? He says that this is who with us? spoke of this one coming and Matthew says this little child 